Today I want to speak to you about 10 books you must read in self-isolation. But before I speak about that, I want to address the current situation we are all experiencing. First of all, I want to send out my heartfelt wishes to all of you who are suffering and struggling in this moment in time. I know it sounds like a cliche, but we are all in this together. And I firmly believe that we are going to get through this together, not through fear, but through love and understanding. And we should always send our prayers to those who are suffering at the moment, especially in countries such as Italy and Iran and the US, Korea, and basically every nation around the world who are suffering because of this. And we're all suffering because of this and our lives have changed because of this current situation. And it is up to us to adapt to the current situation and I firmly believe, as I said, we'll all get through this together just through some calculated measures like self-isolation and so forth and so on. So there's many other experts that talk about this and I'm not an expert in health and safety, so I'll stick to my wheelhouse, which is philosophy. And so I guess I can contribute to you in the sense that I can recommend some books that I believe will help your spiritual growth in this time of self-isolation for a lot of people. I'm assuming that a lot of you are self-isolated at the moment and you probably have a lot more time on your hands than you usually have. So that's a perfect time to read some books, especially that you probably would never read that are maybe 500-page books that you would never even consider because they're just it's too overwhelming to even start. And look, I sympathize with that because as a writer and as someone who creates YouTube videos, reading 500-page books, a 1,000-page books can be problematic. But I'm assuming that a lot of you have a lot of time on your hands and you're self-isolated. And this is a really good time to you know, dive deep into a lot of books that you've probably been putting off because your life has been too busy with work, family commitments, and just life in general. So I want to share with you 10 books that I believe will enhance your spiritual growth, but also just improve your life in general. And these are 10 of my favorite books of all time. I don't really have a favorite book. You know, a lot of people say, what's your favorite book of all time, Jason? And I used to give some answers and then I just learned to realize that you know, I just love all books. And if, if you said to me favorite book, I'd have to mention like 20 or 30 books. And it's, they're all a tie. <laughs> so these 10 books, as I said, some are a little longer that you may have not even considered because of your life circumstance. But there are some shorter books that I believe will enhance your spiritual growth as well. So the first book I want to speak about is The Perennial Philosophy by Aldous Huxley. Now, as you can see, this book's a little weathered it's I've had it for I don't even know how long I've had this book but I I used to tell everyone that this was my favorite book of all time now my tune has changed over the years I've matured over the years and to say something is your favorite is you know you're putting yourself out there and it's ultimately probably going to change and we need to realize we probably don't have any sort of favorite book or favorite movie or so forth and so on but this book I highly recommend, and I still highly recommend it to anyone I come in contact with. And it may seem small there, but when you open the pages up, it's, you know, and 
it can seem pretty overwhelming. But considering you have a lot of time on your hands, The Perennial Philosophy is the perfect book to start with. And, you know, when we talk about Aldous Huxley, as my friend Dana Sawyer mentioned, he's a professor in America. He mentioned that, you know, when we're talking about Aldous Huxley, we're talking about someone with an IQ skyward of 200. So be prepared to have your vocabulary upgraded, your sense of English in general upgraded when you read the perennial philosophy. Some, I mean, some sentences, seriously, they go on for a paragraph and then you have to go, wait, I have to read that whole thing again. But that's just the genius of the man. But what Huxley created here is, is unbelievable because he has dissected like no other the perennial philosophy within all of the great religious traditions, the philosophia perennis, as they say. And he has unpacked it in a way that you will walk away and just be centered on God or Brahman or Tao, whatever you want to call it, because in this book, he just unpacks it like no other. And I, I think it's a, a literary feat that will never be matched, what Huxley has created here. And you, you keep in mind, he wrote this in the 1930s. And so it's way, way before its time. It's still before its time right now, especially when you read the, the English and you go, oh, Jesus, you know, how do I even, <laughs> how do I compare to this genius? But it's an amazing book and I highly recommend it because it gives you a firm foundation of, especially the great Eastern traditions. And it also compares that to a lot of the other Western religions as well. And so you're getting down into the perennial philosophy of all traditions. So this is kind of like if you think of Vedanta, if you think of Advaita Vedanta, a lot of people say that's kind of the science of religion. Well, perennial philosophy is in tune with that perspective. It's kind of the underlying philosophy of all spiritual traditions that connect them as one. And so I highly recommend this as the first book you read in self-isolation. The second book I want to mention is the book On the Taboo Against Knowing Who You Are by Alan Watts. Now, I don't have a physical copy here with me. It's at a friend's house in Sydney. This is the trouble with traveling all over the world and living in different parts of the world. I guess I'm leaving my rubbish everywhere for other people, but you know, I end up leaving boxes of books at my friend's houses and that's just the way it is. Eventually one day, if I ever settle in one location, I'll probably get all of those books sent and who knows, maybe make a library. But the book by Alan Watts, in my opinion, is his best book. Another book which is, I would say, almost a close second is Tao, The Watercourse Way. You know, it's an, an amazing book. But you know, in trying to Again, pick a favorite of Alan's books is very difficult. But why I really love the book is it really synthesizes Vedantic thought for the Western mind. But it also dives into other areas like Buddhism and Taoism. And it really unpacks this idea of this game of black and white that we are playing, which is an underlying theme within Vedanta, Taoism and Buddhism. This idea of dissecting reality into this and that from a subjective viewpoint and how we can dissolve that to understand there is no this and that. There is no game of black and white. And the book is a book that I come back to a lot because I, you know, I love Alan's work 
and he has influenced me greatly. And I just believe the book, considering it's one of his later books before his death, it kind of synthesizes a lot of his philosophy in unison with Eastern philosophy, which I, I find quite amazing. And, and again, as with Aldous Huxley, it's another feat that may be hard to match for a writer or an author. You know, some of these literary feats that these giants have achieved is, <laughs> is going to be difficult. And I know this personally being a writer. But yes, go out and get Alan Watts's The Book. And, you know, the subtitle is, is very apt on the taboo against knowing who you are. And don't be afraid, this book is not like Huxley's book where it's like 400 pages and the text is like, like this. It's, a, it's a, only about a 200 page read and it's very relaxing and calm. But definitely go out and get the book. This will benefit your understanding of yourself and the world a lot better. Now the third book that I recommend is probably my most expensive book, but I, and I have it on me, not like Alan's book, but I keep this one on me. And this is The Zhuangzi. And this translation is by Burton Watson. Specifically, they call this The Complete Works of Zhuangzi. And Burton Watson's version of The Zhuangzi, I believe, is the best translation. And a lot of other professors and peers who I know they agree with me. Now, the reason why I mention the Zhuangzi is because a lot of people may say that they read the Tao Te Ching and that they kind of understand Taoist thought. And obviously, you should read the Tao Te Ching first when you are getting into Taoism. And that is the template of understanding Taoist thought. But to take your understanding deeper, you need to read and understand the Zhuangzi. Now, I would say that this is one of my favorite all-time classical texts. Now, I said one of, I have many, but this is one of them. And it is very difficult to understand because the Zhuangzi text is shrouded in mystery, it's abstract, and if you don't have a understanding of Taoist philosophy, it'll seem like pure buffoonery. <laughs> so you'll just think, what the hell is this? What is this book about? Seriously. But once you get through that and you start to understand the depth of this book, then you'll start to peel the layers away at your being and understand the true essence of Taoist thought. And also this book is full of humor. You know, a lot of people, they find it just hilarious because Instead of like, for example, Confucius, who commends the, the gentleman, you know, the very pious, Zhuangzi exemplifies the Taoist sage because he commends those who are the misfits in the world. He commends the hunchback, he commends the drunk, he commends the butcher. He commends these people and their skills as the essence of Taoism. And I won't explain that to you because I'll let you read the the book itself, so you can understand that. But Zhuangzi himself exemplifies and is an exemplar of the great Taoist sages that we think of. You know, obviously we think of Lao Tzu, but then when we think of someone after Lao Tzu, we first of all, we have to think of Zhuangzi. And I mean, this book, it'll blow you away. I've read it many times. And to be honest, there's, there's still a lot of chapters that you really have to mull over for years because you just have no idea what the hell is going on. 
<laughs> you know. But because you have time on your hands, you can get through this one, you can get through this book, and you can contemplate it deeply. And maybe if you do have a copy of the Tao Te Ching, you could read that first and then try and read this and try and make some sense of it and what it means to you and the larger universe. So I highly recommend the Zhuangzi, the Burton Watson translation. Go ahead and get yourself a copy. There are cheaper versions than the hard copy. There is a paperback copy, which didn't exist before I bought this one, which is convenient. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead and get yourself a copy and dive deep into a contemplative text that is abstract and mysterious. The fourth book I want to mention is In the Buddha's Words, translated by Bhikkhu Bodhi. Now, why I recommend this, first of all, is because, because you have time on your hands, you can actually dive into this text and you can give it a crack. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big bopper. But you have time on your hands, so I highly recommend this. And Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation is, is beautiful. Now, why I mentioned this in the Buddha's words is because this is a translation of the actual teachings of the historical Buddha. Now, a lot of people ask me, like, which book should I read on Buddhism or about Buddhism? And I used to refrain from saying this book because I, I, I thought that it might scare people away from Buddhism because it's a sutra reading. And if you're not familiar with sutras, sutras can be very repetitive. That was the style of writing 2,500 years ago was this constant training of the mind to, you know, you had to try and get this knowledge. So you had to repetitively say these sutras and then, you know, through force of habit, you start to understand the knowledge deeply. In saying that, sutra reading is kind of something that a lot of people don't enjoy in the modern day because that's not the style of writing or reading that we enjoy. In saying that, Bhikkhu Bodhi has created a wonderful book in the Buddha's words, which even though it does have the repetitive sutra reading, he has a beautiful commentary on the sutras, and it's very clear and precise. So when we're talking about the original teachings of the Buddha, we're talking about the Nikayas. Now, the Nikayas in a lot of like Popular Buddhist books are not even mentioned. You know, they might mention the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path, but they mention those in more modern terms. This is sticking to the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path of the Buddha to its original essence and how the text actually is. So when you're reading this, you're reading the actual words of the Buddha, what they were 2,500 years ago to the first disciples of the Buddha. So I highly recommend In the Buddha's Words because if you're interested in Buddhism, this will give you a great foundation of Buddhism and a deeper understanding. I would not say it's the most exciting book to read, but it's one of the most important books to read if you're to understand Buddhism and also if you're to understand Eastern thought in general because Buddhism did play a big part in the evolution of Eastern thought. So this is very important to read, in my opinion, and I hope you all go out there, get yourself a copy. The fifth book I recommend for self-isolation is The Yoga Tradition by Georg Fursten. 
Yeah, look at the size of this. This is no joke, people, no joke. They actually call this, jokingly, the, the phone book of yoga. <laughs> For obvious reasons, look at it. Oh my God. One of the greatest books I've ever read. And if you don't know who Gail Thurston is, then you need to know who Gail Thurston is. He's one of the greatest scholars on yoga and I would say on Hindu thought in general. He was an exceptional scholar and an amazing man. He he's long since passed away. I think he passed away in 2012. But his teachings live on. And he has many great books out there. But if you're really to capture the essence of Georg's writing and understanding of the great traditions, then this is where you need to start first. And this book, I tell you, it doesn't just cover yoga in the sense of Patanjali's tradition, like, so, for example, classical yoga. Georg explores the whole evolution of the yogic tradition, stemming all the way back to the Vedas, all the way through the Upanishads, how yoga is experienced through even traditions such as Jainism and Buddhism. And he goes in depth into like Shaivism and Vaishnavism and all of these traditions that have been influenced by the yogic path. And so it's one of the most comprehensive books on anything, let alone yoga. And he dissects every tradition and how yoga is embedded in all of those traditions. He even talks about things like Sikhism and these sorts of traditions. So it is quite amazing. And again, as I said with some of the books that I've mentioned earlier, Huxley and Watts, Georg's literature is going to be hard to replicate for a lot of writers because his level of knowledge of yoga, Vedanta, Sankhya, Jainism, all of these traditions was at a high level that is hard to uh, replicate and hard to understand for just anyone in general, hard to comprehend for a lot of us. But we are fortunate that we've had teachers like him before us. And I know it seems daunting. Like, like have a look at the size of this thing. I mean, this is, I don't even know how you, what you compare this to, but it's one of the most enjoyable reads I have ever experienced. And since you have a lot of time on your hands, why not go out and get yourself a copy and yeah, dive deep because there's a lot to chew on here. As you can see, there's a lot to chew on. And, <clears throat> you know, even if I tried to read this again, <laughs> you need a lot of time. You need a lot of time. But since you have time for the time being, there's nothing wrong with letting Gail first and into your mind because I highly recommend anything that he writes. I could recommend many of his other books like The Philosophy of Yoga, The Path of Ecstasy, Tantra, The Path of Ecstasy, all of these sorts of books. And why not let him into your, your mind and your heart? And I can guarantee you that after reading this book, you'll have a deeper understanding not only of the yoga tradition, but of yourself in general. The sixth book I want to recommend is Be As You Are, The Teachings of Ramana Maharshi, or Sri Ramana Maharshi. And this is edited and translated by David Godman, who is a great scholar and a wonderful individual. And he actually lives in Tiruvannamalai, where the holy mountain of Arunachala, where Ramana lives most of his life in Sadhana, 
and where the, his great ashram is built at the foot of Arunachala. And for those of you who are familiar with my channel, you know that I spend a lot of time in Tiruvannamalai. And this book, Be As You Are, is one of the most profound books you'll ever read. And it will allow you to understand Advaita Vedanta specifically a lot better. But in saying that, it just helps you understand yourself a lot better and the nature of the I, the nature of yourself a lot better. As most of you may know, the profound question of who am I is often attributed to Ramana Maharishi. And so this is a constant inquiry into the nature of yourself. And I would say it's not even to do with any sort of tradition. We could say that this is, is non-dual and this is Advaita Vedanta, but at the same time, it's just a pure inquiry into the nature of your own existence. And this is why it is so profound and why the teachings of Ramana are so lasting and are having a great impact on the world. And, you know, as you can see, Ramana's right here. You always notice him in my episodes of Enlightenment Today and the Sacred Word and any other video I do here. But I owe a lot to the teachings of Sri Ramana Maharishi and my life in Tiruvannamalai have transformed by especially books like this and the teachings of Advaita Vedanta. And so I highly recommend this book and just the, the profundity of this book, the way it can impact your life is almost more than any other book because it exposes who you think you are. It puts who you think you are on trial. And then at the end of that trial, that person you think you are has evaporated leaving only who you truly are and that's the point of this book and obviously because of the title be as you are be as you are not be who you are or be that person be as you are be who you truly are deep within and that's what this book does and it's a simple book it's not that not that long you'll get through this fairly quick and since you have a lot of time, this is a great book to contemplate in self-isolation. And I know this personally because as a writer and someone who is a long-term meditator myself and traveler, I usually go to places like Tiruvannamalai and I am in isolation for long periods of time and have a lot of time to contemplate books such as this. And I, that's exactly what I did when I first bought this book a long time ago. And so I highly recommend it. Go ahead and get yourself a copy and allow the teachings of Sri Ramana Maharishi to touch your heart. The seventh book I want to mention to you is Shankara's Crest Jewel of Discrimination, the Viveka Chudamani. Now, then we're getting a little smaller, see? We're getting a little more compact. This is maybe a little bit more your style. You could read this maybe in a few days. And why I mentioned Shankara's book is because I mentioned, first I mentioned Be As You Are by Ramana Maharishi. And this kind of explains the philosophy behind Ramana's teachings, which is Advaita Vedanta. Shankara was one of the most important figures within the history of India and the evolution of Hindu thought because Shankara brought out the essence of the Vedas and the Upanishads and that essence is Advaita, the non-dual teachings of those traditions. 
And he delivered that through commentaries and teachings such as the Viveka Chudamani, this book, and many others, the Atma Bodha, self-knowledge, and these sorts of books. And he has commentaries on the Upanishads and such texts. And Shankara is one of the most important people to study if you were to understand Vedanta and also Hinduism. That's the place you should begin when you are trying to understand Hindu thought. Don't start at Patanjali, don't start at Sankhya, start at Shankara, because then you'll understand Vedanta, you'll understand specifically Advaita Vedanta, which a lot of people, especially in the modern day, believe is the essence of the Vedas and the Upanishads, those ancient texts that are the core of Hinduism. And just the intellectual brilliance of Shankara is on display in such texts that an individual lived back in that time. We're talking about 700 to 800 in the common era, so a long time ago. And that someone with that intellectual brilliance existed and delivered and found the essence of those ancient texts of the Upanishads and the Vedas is quite amazing. And this sort of text the Viveka Chudamani, Shankara's Crest Jewel of Discrimination, is the beginning of a lot of the great teachers of Vedanta that we see in the modern era. Sri Ramana Maharishi, Swami Vivekananda, and even in the modern world, Swami Savapriyananda. And so you see all these amazing teachers, and they are all the fruit of this great guru's teachings, Shankara. Shankaracharya. And so I highly recommend this book because it, first of all, it's small and you'll get through it very quick. And then you also understand deeply core concepts in Vedanta and in Hinduism, such as Brahman, ultimate reality, Atman, which is identical to ultimate reality, which is your true nature, Jiva, the persona system, Maya, the illusion of separation or reality, and all of these core concepts and a lot, lot more. And Shankara puts it in a way that you can understand. And this version of Shankara is translated by Swami Prabhavananda and Christopher Isherwood. Both translated many great texts and this is a wonderful, wonderful translation. I've actually used this book in, in another video of the Sacred Word to explain one of the core passages of Shankara. And so I highly recommend this text very brief text. You could probably finish this in a week, maybe, but contemplate for a lifetime. So go out and get yourself a copy. Now, since you all have a lot of time on your hands, there's no better time than now to learn how to meditate and meditate properly. And one of my favorite meditation books of all time is The Art of Living Vipassana Meditation by William Hart. Now, this is based on Vipassana, the original teachings of the Buddha, and the teachings of Goenka, who made the teachings of Vipassana more available for the rest of the world and who established what are famous 10-day retreats that are practiced in Dharma centers all around the world. But this book on Vipassana meditation is a great place to start. And you, you don't even have to go to a Vipassana retreat to have read this book. This is probably better to read before actually you go to a Vipassana retreat or start to practice Vipassana daily. It's probably better to 
read this first because it gives you a great understanding of Vipassana. And as you see, it's not a very big book, but it's got a lot of gold within it. It's so precise about how to meditate and meditate properly. And this book by William Hart gives you also the philosophy behind meditation, or it gives the Vipassana philosophy and the Buddhist philosophy behind meditation. And it breaks down the Eastern framework of mind through samskaras, mental impressions, subliminal imprints, vasanas, habits and tendencies, and karma, action and unconscious actions. And so it breaks that down, but it also breaks down how we can actually transform our samskaras, transform our subconscious to experience more states of equanimity. And that's what this book does. And this will be great for you in isolation right now because you can study Vipassana meditation and also put it into practice because you might have a lot of time on your hands right now. So I highly recommend this. And if you're serious about meditation, then this is a great place to start. The ninth book and one that I highly recommend is The Geography of Thought by Richard Nisbet. And the subtitle is How Asians and Westerners Think Differently and Why. Now, actually, the first episode I ever did of Enlightenment Today, way back when, was based on the geography of thought. And this book has actually influenced some of my other books, such as Fasting the Mind. And why it's so important is because Richard explains through cognitive science and through cultural evolution, evolutionary theory, and psychology, why Easterners and Westerners are different and how this actually impairs our understanding of each other. So for example, why this was important for me to read is because I always noticed Westerners having an, an interesting understanding of Eastern philosophy and spirituality, where they would project maybe Christian beliefs or a Christian psychology or just a Western psychology in general onto Eastern philosophy. We need to remember a lot of Western psychology is influenced from teachings, older teachings such as Christianity and, and so forth and so on. And so what this book does is it highlights that and it shows why the West evolved individualistically and why the East evolved collectively. So it was more oriented towards groups. And neither is better than the other because this book is about understanding each other and it explores the positive and negative effects of both individualistic and collective cognition and why both are important to harness to be more integral and to be more of a complete human. But in saying that, as I said, it's very important. It's not that, it's not that big. It's very important to understand this book because you will see that the East and the West do have two different cognitive styles and this affects the religions that came from those traditions or evolved out of both the East and the West. And this is why in the East we have more holistic traditions like Taoism, Buddhism, Hinduism, which are based more on holism and the individual merging with the greater reality as opposed to some of the individualistic religions in the West where they can tend to be self-interested and so forth and so on and also where men and God are separate. 
So we're not taking in a holistic approach. We don't belong to the world. There's this separation. And this comes way back. I could explain a lot about this book, but it goes way back to the way that we evolved through agriculture differently through both parts of the world and which changed our way of thinking. So environmental factors had an effect on our psychology, both in the East and the West. But what that says for now is very interesting because, you know, people are trying to understand Eastern philosophy through a Western cognitive style. And this is why, in some sense, I try to teach the authentic teachings of the East on this channel, but I still do get a lot of Westerners who comment on my videos who get very angry and so forth and so on because they have a Western view of how Eastern philosophy should be. What can I say about that? There's nothing I can say about that. I don't have time to comment on every comment. So, you know, I got to focus on the work and I got to focus on teaching the best that I can the great traditions. But it's ain't all that. Go and get yourself a copy of this because this will really open your eyes, especially if you're a Westerner. The differences between Eastern psychology and Western psychology or Eastern thought and Western thought. And it just gives you a greater understanding and a, a greater appreciation of actually how wonderful Eastern philosophy is and how it came from a place that was not self-interested. And ironically, they are paths of liberation in the East, but they only happen when you begin to dissolve the one who is self-interested to merge with the greater totality, call that Brahman, Dao, what have you. And that's why it's important to read this book. I love this book. I really love this book. And Richard Nisbet, I mean, he nailed it. He nailed this. He nailed it. And if you're serious about cognitive science, this is also an important book to read. And as you guys know from me gibbering about it on this channel for a long time, cognitive science is an important discipline to understand Eastern philosophy because it gives you a greater understanding of the mind and the mechanisms and the function of the mind and why certain philosophies came about in the first place. So if you're interested in all that, make sure you go ahead and get yourself a copy of The Geography of Thought. Now we come to number 10, which is the last book, but definitely not the least. I can say that <laughs> because I'm talking about my own book, Enlightenment Now. Liberation is your true nature. Now, for whatever reason, this book probably has not done as well as my other books for whatever reason but this is my wife's favorite book she she loves this book well favorite book of mine i should say and she loves this book and she was obviously curious why this book never did that well and that may come down to people maybe not really believing in enlightenment and maybe people think that this book might be about certain philosophies but it is a book just basically on eastern philosophy and how enlightenment is our true nature and the only way to experience that is in the present moment so why i'm mentioning this to you in this video is if you want enlightenment in a hurry so to speak and you have a lot of time and self-isolation then you need to come to an understanding that enlightenment is not something that you experience at the end of a journey or a process of spiritual practice it's something that you can only come to terms with in the immediate moment and that's what this whole book is about it's about how and why enlightenment is our true nature in this very present moment and i explore that through the great traditions of the East, especially through Advaita Vedanta, 
Zen Buddhism, Taoism, specifically the teachings of Lao Tzu and Zhuangzi, and many other teachings, even esoteric teachings in the East, such as Hermeticism and Gnosticism. But I also explore you know, other schools of philosophy in the East, you know, not just Zen Buddhism. I do explore Theravada and other schools of Mahayana Buddhism. And I also explore yoga as well in this yoga tradition, which seems ironic to talk about yoga when we're talking about non-dualism here. We're talking about enlightenment as our true nature. It's ever-present here. We're kind of talking about a non-dual reality, so it's kind of ironic to talk about yoga. But I talk about the philosophy of yoga and Sankhya in this too enrich the understanding of enlightenment in the present moment and so i highly recommend this and i would have to agree with my wife it is one of i believe from my own personal opinions one of my best books but it's one of the books that have not been read a lot and has not done that well as opposed to say effortless living fast in the mind and the science of practice of humility so I highly recommend my own book, and I know that may sound a bit arrogant and so forth and so on, but why not? Why not? It's a short read, and since you've got time, why not get you, go out and get yourself a copy of Enlightenment Now? Because there's no better time than now in self-isolation to try and understand such deep experiences as Enlightenment. And even if you don't believe Enlightenment exists, give it a shot. And just read this book and see what the ancient texts have to say about enlightenment in the present moment and what it says about you as a person who is eclipsing this true nature of all of us, this true nature of enlightenment that is at the core of our being. You know, it's only our persona that eclipses that. And this is what this book dives into. And it explores that from many different angles and many different philosophies. And so I highly recommend that. And so those are the 10 books that I, I recommend for you in self-isolation. Now I know and I'm mindful, I'm not stupid. Don't get in the comment section and start trolling. I am mindful that delivery and so forth and so on is going to be a problem in the present moment in some countries. I am mindful of that, okay? So no need to mention that. <laughs> I know a lot of people get emotional on YouTube and they, you know, what can we say about that? Anyway, so I highly recommend those and I hope you're in a situation where you can get books and you can read many great books and nourish your being and grow spiritually and use this time as an opportunity to dive deep within because it really may be a great opportunity for yourself to reconnect with your true being instead of being out there busy 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 and all active you you have to come within you have to be isolated not only within your home but isolated within yourself and you have to observe your own mind and your own being and the way you are to other people. This is, can be a good thing for a lot of us, even though a lot of people are suffering out there and we should always send our prayers to them and keep our heart with them. But for those of us who are in isolation and are stuck at home, this is a great time to dive deep within and try and discover who you truly are which will help the world when this self-isolation ends, when you go back out into the world 
as an entirely different person with a different perspective and a different worldview because you've come in contact with something much deeper within yourself, which we won't give a name. Shanti, shanti, shanti.